oh, as as Matt was sharing that that song with us, I was thinking about the ways that God strengthens our faith and the ways that God builds our faith up. And and I think one of the most significant aspects of of my relationship with God and and the things that I see and or as I've as I've grown older and I feel like I'm maturing in my faith is is realizing and watching and seeing God's providence the the way God just works out his plan um, two Wednesdays ago we spent time with the youth in the book of Ruth and and a demonstration of God's providence there in the way he provided for his people the way he worked out his plan of redemption in, in taking Naomi all the way to Moab where she meets Ruth, her family dies, and she brings Ruth back with her to establish the Davidic line. I mean, just God's providence. So the way you see it worked out in, in Peru and the way you see it worked out in the church praying for a wall to be broken down at Colonial Village and walking in that week and the lady saying, hey, listen, I need to talk to you. We want that room. We want you to have that room right there for a Bible study. And, and all these things, how, how God is working out his plan. And then, and then tonight, this is actually get around to the sermon tonight. Tonight we come to a passage in James talking about conflict. What's the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? And, and God laid that passage on my heart to, to preach on um, back in January, the next time uh, that I, I got to preach. And um, it, I, two weeks ago when I got to preach, it just wasn't, I didn't have time to study it good enough. It was such a last-minute sermon. Um, but this week, Scott came in to my office and said, hey, what are you preaching on? And I, I told him, he said, okay, I, I'm going to preach on First Corinthians 13. And, and we thought a little bit, talked a little bit, and, and I, it just struck me this morning how God works out his plan in the lives of his people. Because we look at the message that we heard this morning, we consider the importance of love, that love must drive God's people. It, it must be a driving force, a, a love for him, and also a love for one another. That the body of Christ is driven by a love for Christ, and a love for one another. And, and when we hear that, we, talk, we hear of the unity. We hear of, of Christ's command. It says, listen, love one another as you love yourselves. This is how the world is going to know that your followers of mine is that the way you love one another, the way you care for one another, that tender affection that Scott mentioned, that we have a true love and care for one another as a body. And Jesus' prayer in John 17 that Ricky read, the prayer was what? It was for unity among the, among the body, unity among his people. Christ taught us to love one another. The ideal that Christ set forth for his people and for his body is one of unity. But the reality that we live in is one of conflict because we live in a world damaged and tainted by sin. And so we wrestle with conflict constantly. As I was studying, I came across a, um, a book. It was slightly dated, um, but one of the resources I was using told of a, a Norwegian statistician 
who found that by 1970, this is not including the almost 40, well, 41 years since then, by 1970, there have been 14,531 wars in 5,560 years of recorded history. That's 2.6 wars on average each year. And, and he also found that of the 185 generations in that time, only 10 generations in all of recorded history have experienced peace. Only 10 generations. Now, that doesn't include, I mean, you can, you can sit here and think, just in, in our lifetime, since 1970, how many more wars would be added on to that? It certainly has not been a time of peace, and it, by no means. The philosopher Plato said this. He said, wars and factions and fightings have no other source than the body and its lust. For it is for the getting of wealth that all our wars arise, and we are compelled to get wealth because of our body, to whose service we are slaves. Conflict is a part of our lives. Whether we're talking about wars whether we're talking about conflict at work, whether we're talking about conflict in our homes or even conflict in our churches, we experience conflict all the time. And so the question is, how do we deal with conflict? What do we do when it comes about? How do we handle it? And so tonight, I want us to look at two simple questions from the book of James, two simple questions, is why do we have conflict and how do we deal with it? Well, what is the source of our conflict? Turn open to, to James chapter 4 tonight. As you're turning there, I, I love, I've, one of my favorite things that, as I've been um, doing some study lately is, is to just Google questions. I don't know, it, it can be a little tricky and you have to be careful, but if you Google it, you can just get an idea of what people out there are saying. And so I, as I was preparing, I just Googled uh, the cause of conflict. I got over 73 million results. On the causes of conflict. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. So I went ahead and read all those for you tonight. Um, research, in-depth research. Here's the number one hit. I, I thought this was interesting. The number one hit was from a self-help expert. All right? And I wanted to share with you the five causes of conflict, the number one hit on Google. Here's the five causes. That you have conflict in your life because differing values. She says differing values will lead to conflicts. The second thing, she says, making assumptions can lead to conflicts. The third thing is differing expectations can lead to conflict. Fourth, she says, differences in the way you were brought up can lead to conflict. And fifth, knowledge and ability to deal with conflict can result in conflict. Now, there, there's truth in those statements. There's truth in those statements. The, the way I was brought up was much different uh, than the way of my uh, cheesehead wife. There, there are things that, that, that we just experienced different. There, there's things that her parents did different in her upbringing. There's things that my parents did differently in the South. And, and there's been times where that's caused a little tension. But the question is, is that really all it is that causes conflict? Is there more to it than just the way we were brought up? Is there more to it than what I expect of you and what you expect of me that could cause conflict in between us? Is there more to it? Is this biblical? I think there's an element of truth, but as we're going to see in the book of James, it's much, much deeper than that. 
much deeper than that. It's James chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. You know that James was written by the brother of Jesus. He was the leader of the Jerusalem church. He was actually stoned to death. That's, this is who wrote it. Uh, James is a very practical and blunt book. He, he really doesn't pull any punches. I mean, he, he brings it right to you, and it hits you right between the eyes. Okay? So, so James is, is right there. It's very practical, and you see that in James chapter 4. Listen to verses 1 through 3 of chapter 4. James says this, What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is not the source your pleasures that wage war in your members? You lust and do not have, so you commit murder. You are envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, so that you may spend it on your pleasures. Before we go through these verses, I want to I take some time to explain to you the words that James uses in here for, uh, for desires. You see, in, the, in, in chapter 3, verse 13 and 18, James addresses the people's desire for wisdom. Okay, And he looks and he distinguishes between godly wisdom and worldly wisdom. He says godly wisdom brings peace and righteousness. Worldly wisdom brings selfishness and disorder. It brings chaos. It brings conflict. And now in chapter 4, he gets in, what is the source of quarrels? What is the source of conflicts among you? And it's important as we read this, who is he talking to? He's talking to the church. Okay, He's not saying, hey, what brings conflict between you and the world? Or what brings conflict to people who aren't Christians? James says, listen, people of God, God's chosen people, God's adopted family, God's royal priesthood, God's saints, those set apart for God's purposes, what brings conflict among you? What brings conflict? What is the potential cause for conflict among Grace Baptist Church? And so he enters into this and he, he looks at this. He says that the great influencer, the source, the heart of the issue in conflict is our desires. And as James says that, it's important that we understand and have a good grasp of the words that he uses. So the first word he uses is found in verse 1 and verse 3. It's the word in Greek, hedonon. 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 However you want to pronounce it, either way. Hedonon. Scott might correct me a little better. He's back there laughing. He's laughing at my pronunciation of it. What does that sound like in English? Does anybody know what English word would be derived from that? Hedonism. Hedonism. That word defined in English means desires or pleasure, gratification, sensual pleasure. It's, it's the English word hedonism. It refers to a sinful, self-indulgent pleasure. Listen, here's the thing. In the New Testament, it's never referred to in a positive way. It's always spoken of negatively, never positive, okay? It's never positive. There's three times that it's used in the New Testament outside of our passage tonight. The first is in Luke 8.14. You don't have to turn there. I'll just read it to you. In Luke 8.14, it's talking about the, the sower, the, one, the, the sowing of the seeds. He says, the seed which fell among the thorns, these are the ones who have heard, and as they go on their way, they are choked with worries and riches and pleasures of this life and bring no fruit to maturity. So here, Jesus speaks, and he uses this word referring to those who hear the gospel, but it's choked out by the pleasures of the world. 
The, the truth of the gospel is choked out of their life because, from the pleasures of the world. The second reference is in Titus 3.3, where Paul writes, For we once also were foolish ourselves, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful, hating one another. He says, listen, outside of Christ, we were foolish, and we spent our life, we were enslaved to pleasures. He says, outside of Christ, we were enslaved to these self-indulgent pleasures. We were focused on ourselves. The third reference is 2 Peter 2.13, where he's talking about false teachers, Peter, or Peter's warning against false teachers. He says, they counted a pleasure to revel in the daytime. They are stains and blemishes, reveling in their deceptions. And so his warning about false teachers is those who revel in their pleasures. And, and again, you see the negative context of this word. Hedonism is never spoke positively of in the New Testament. The second word that he uses is found in verse 2 of James chapter 4. It says, you lust and you do not have, so you commit murder. You are envious and you cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. The word here is epithymeo. It means to desire, to long for, to set the heart upon, to lust after, to covet. If you, if you want to mark or flip over there, James chapter 1 verses 14 and 15 use the same word. It's the word that, that he says this is how sin is carried out in your life. This is, this is how it happens that sin leads to death when we follow the lust of our flesh. This word in the New Testament is used in both a positive context and a negative context. Okay? Jesus uses it in Matthew 5.28 to describe the sin of lusting after a woman. Okay? In, in there, it's, it's a negative context. That lusting after a woman is equal to adultery. Okay? So it's used negatively. In Matthew 13.17, Jesus uses it in a positive way, describing the longing desire of the prophets to see the coming Messiah. That, that their hearts longed for the day. He says, listen, the day is here that I am here and I'm among you. The Messiah has come. I stand before you. And the prophets longed for this day. He uses this word in a positive way. And what this teaches us, why this is important is this, is it answers the question, is all desire ungodly and sinful? Is all longing, is all of our hearts longing and desire sinful? No. No, it is not. But does it have potential to lead us to sin? Yes, it does. Yes, it does. The, the context that James uses epithymio here is, is, the, is the, the longing for something that leads to sin. In James 4, 1 through 3, he does use it negatively. As a longing for something, a lusting after, a coveting for something that leads us to sin. An example of that would be who? King David. As King David, he, he lusted, he longed for Bathsheba. When he sees her and he commits sin, and then what does he do? His sin, it entices him to do what? To cover that up. And then what does he do? He murders Uriah. And, and you see the progression of his sin. His desire progresses to the point that he not only commits adultery, he commits murder as well. And he goes on and breaks all sorts. I think he breaks every one of the Ten Commandments that's said in there. He, he knocks them all out in one swoop. <laughs> you know, he's done. Takes care of them all. 
But we see that progression that sin leads us towards. Our desire leads us towards sin there. And so these two words are important for us to understand. Here's the defining factor. Here's the defining factor. And we are going to get to conflict resolution eventually. The defining factor for our desires on whether they are godly or not is what is the focus of that desire? What, what is that desire focused on? Is it focused on self-pleasure? Is it hedonistic? Is, is my desire for, for whatever situation I'm in, whatever my heart longs for, is, do I long for that for my own glory? Or I, do I long for that for God's glory? Am I seeking to make God's name great? Or am I seeking to make my name great? Is it a selfish intent? Or is it driven by love of God? The, the things that I do, even when I serve you as a pastor, do I serve you out of a love for you or do I serve you out of selfish gain? When we're involved in ministry, are we involved in that ministry for a godly reasons? Is it a godly desire? Look at verse one and two of, of James chapter four. James tells us here that desire that leads to conflict is self-centered. It is self-centered. It's focused on our own pleasure. Pleasure is not sinful per se. I don't want you to, to come away or even to think tonight that you can never desire pleasure. You can never desire to, to be pleased. But what's wrong is when the driving, desi driving force of desire is for that pleasure. That, that all you're seeking is a self-pleasure. That it's selfish. It's hedonism. It's where, it's where our lives are driven by what pleases us. It's when our lives are, and, and what we do, where we go, is determined by what makes us happy. That, that's just classical pagan hedonism. And scripture condemns it. But God says there is a right place for pleasure. He calls us to have pleasure and delight in him. Listen, Psalm 1611. He says, in God's right hand, there are pleasures forever. Psalm 37, 4, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you, what? The desires of your heart. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. In God's right hand, there are pleasures forever. Pleasures in and of themselves are not wrong. Desires in and of themselves are not wrong. It's the focus. What is the focus of our desires? And James says, when they are self-centered, they are sinful desires. He goes on to say in verse one, he says, is not the source your pleasures that wage war in your members? They wage war. We need to understand that, that our pleasures and our desires wage war within us. It reminds us of Paul's struggle in Romans seven, where he says, the things that I want to do, I don't do. The things that I don't want to do, I do. He, he's talking about this, this war that's being waged in him. And we experience that same thing. As believers, we wrestle with sinful and godly desires. It's a constant, constant battle that we're in. Because sin is still present in our lives. It does not have authority in our lives as Christians. But it's still present. Those of you who sit in here tonight as unbelievers... It, your, your desire, they're sinful desires. Why? Because Jesus says you're a slave to sin. You're dead in your trespasses and sin, Ephesians 2 teaches. But for Christians, we wrestle with that. And we have to understand this. This is why it's important. 
we have to understand that there's a war waging within us with our desires that, that within myself I have a war being waged there's a war going on with my desires and if I do not follow Christ if I do not choose godliness in those desires if I do not seek by God's grace to live for his glory then I pursue ungodly and sinful desires and those desires manifest themselves through my actions and words that according to James is going to bring conflict and quarrels among us So I need to understand the war that's within myself. You need to understand the battle that's going on among you, in you. Between godly desires and ungodly desires. How do we pinpoint those? How do we discern those things? How, how do we make sure that the things that we seek after are godly desires? We've got to learn to think with the mind of Christ. We've got to pursue Christ in all things. In verse 2, James goes on to say that sinful desires lead to sinful actions. He, he, just, he just fleshes it out. He says, you lust and you do not have, so you commit murder. You're envious and you cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. He says, listen, when you desire something so strongly, it just carries you out on to act sinfully. And so when I desire something that bad, I just continue to act it out. And I pursue that desire to the point of ungodliness, to the point of quarrels and conflicts, James says, among the church. In verse 2 and 3, it's interesting. He says this at the end of verse 2. He says, you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. He says, listen, the, the things that you desire, you, you don't even come before God. You don't even seek God in prayer for the things that you desire. You, you, you want something, you long for something, but you don't come before God. You don't, you don't pursue Christ in that. Listen, here's the deal. God will grant us the desires of our heart when they're in line with his will and they're focused on his glory. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Now listen, I, I think this is an important thing. There's a careful distinction that needs to be made here. When you talk about you have not because you ask not. Does that mean that, hey, I, <laughs> I really want this. So according to James, I can just go pray for it, and I'll get it. Is that what it means? No. There's a distinction that needs to be made, and this is it. Listen, prayer does not pull God's will in line with our motives and desires. It does not pull God's will in line with our motives and desires. It does, however, pull our desires and motives to be in line with God's will. Do you see the distinction? When I go before God in prayer, I don't change His will. I don't change the righteousness of, of this act. I don't go, God, please let me have that 
And God says, oh, okay, well, I'm going to change my mind. And now, okay, that's okay. It wouldn't have been good before, but now that you asked for it, it's fine. <laughs> you go ahead and have it. That's great. I'll work everything else out. It doesn't work like that. But what works is when I come before God in prayer, I'm conformed to his will because I spend time in the presence of God. How many times have you desired and longed for something and got on your knees before God and prayed and listened and read his word? And at the end of the day, you realize, you know, that's not what God wants for me. That's not what's best in this situation. That's not what I need to be seeking after. Why? It's because God conforms you to his will. It's because God's working in your life to say, listen, your desires were wrong. Your desires were selfish. Your desires were focused on something you wanted or you thought best. Not what I knew was best for you. We're conformed to God's will in prayer. So that our prayer is not for our own pleasures. But our prayer is for the glory of God. Our desires are not for our own pleasures. Our desires are for the things of God. So how does that work out in our lives? Practically, how does this influence us when we deal with conflict and quarrels? What we need to realize, listen, here's what I want you to take away tonight. Is that when there's conflict in your life, when you experience conflict as a married couple, when you experience conflict among friends, when you experience conflict as a parent, the heart of that conflict is sinful desire. The heart of that conflict, well, I, you know, I misspoke myself. The heart of that conflict is desire. And the reason that that's misspoken is this, is because we know and we said earlier that desire is not always sinful. But it is possible for me to so adamantly desire something and then act upon it in a wrong way. Here's how that can happen. Steph comes in, I come in from work and say something and she speaks to me very disrespectfully. Right? Now, according to Ephesians 5, that would be sinful on her part. But would I be justified in turning to her and yelling her down? No. Would, would I be justified in hitting her and being abusive? No. But my desire was that I was not respected. And Scripture clearly tells Steph to respect me as her husband. You see, I can act sinfully out of a righteous desire. Does that make sense? Some of you are looking at me really confused. Are you, are you following that? Do you understand that? that? That there's times where I can have a righteous desire and act sinfully on that. Now, a sinful desire is always going to lead me to a sinful act if I carry it out, right? Here's ways it manifests itself. What about a child's desire for a toy? How many parents have been in Walmart and their, their child flips out because they didn't get a Lego or they didn't get a doll? Has that ever happened? Yeah. If you're a parent, it's happened. I guarantee you. 
If it hadn't, I need to talk to you. Because here's the deal. Is that child has a sinful desire, a, a longing. They, they lust after that. They covet what they don't have. They want what they don't have. And that desire manifests itself in a fit, right? That, what about a teen's desire for independence? Parents, have you ever had your teenager just flat out rebel and disobey you just because they want to be independent? I know the students, you're looking at me going, whatever, I don't really want to be independent. You do. Just admit it. That, that's how it manifests itself in your home. What about, like, like we said, a husband's desire for respect, leading him to act unloving to his wife. What about a wife's desire for love and affection? And, and when she doesn't get it, she neglects her husband. Well, if you're not going to love me, I'll show you. The, the desires, our desires, even whether they may be good or bad, manifest themselves in our lives every day and bring conflict to us every day. If you've never read it, you should pick up Ken Sandy's Peacemaking books. One of, they have Peacemaking for Families. We have some copies out there. He has just the, the Peacemaker. But, but he talks about this. He talks about that desires aren't necessarily bad. The same as James says, desires in and of themselves aren't necessarily bad. But when we carry them out, when we get so focused on desires that everything else gets pushed aside and we pursue that no matter what, then it leads to a sinful place. Listen to what Sandy says. He says this. He says, when we see our object of desire as being essential to our fulfillment and well-being, it moves from being a desire to a demand. I wish I could have this evolves into I must have this. This is where trouble sets in. Even if the initial desire was not inherently wrong, it has grown so strong that it begins to control our thoughts and behavior. In biblical terms, it becomes an idol. And a, a desire goes along a progression to the point that it becomes an idol and leads us to act sinfully and conflict arises in our lives. So James says the source of conflict is our own desires. So how do we deal with it? How do we deal with conflict in our families? How do we deal with conflict in our church? Praise God that I'm not, you know, you know what a blessing, here, here's a blessing that you should thank God for tonight. When you pray tonight as a family or before you go to bed, take the time to thank God that we stand here tonight and we read a text tonight not figuring out how to deal with a major conflict in our church. Praise God for the unity he's blessed Grace Baptist with. But God help us to guard that unity. God help us to act in love towards one another as we heard this morning. God help us to realize and control our desires. Let me leave you with five quick things tonight. How do we deal with conflict? One is realize your own sinfulness. Realize your own sinfulness. Jeremiah 17, 9 identifies the heart as deceitful above all things. Romans 3, 10 through 23 talks about that there's no one who does good, none who act righteously. We've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We are all sinful. We need to realize our own sinfulness. If we don't realize our own sinfulness, then we kid ourselves and we approach conflict thinking we are totally in the right and we've done nothing wrong. Every conflict that we're involved in, we've got to know our own sinfulness. The second thing is understand the heart 
of the problem, according to James, is desires. God's word tells us the source of conflict is our desires. Parents, when there's conflict in our homes, we have to realize our own hearts. When there's conflict in our homes, we have to realize the hearts of our children. We have to realize the role of desires. We have to understand and help, help our kids see that Christ is the only solution. He's the only hope for the heart condition. And, and conflict is just a reminder of that. Third, we need to learn to ask this question, what am I wanting so badly that it's caused me to sin? When, when, when I have an argument with Steph, I need to ask myself this question. What am I wanting so badly that it's caused me to speak in an ungodly way to my wife? If I have an argument with someone here, I need to ask myself that question. Youth, children, when you disobey your parents, when you fight or rebel against your parents, you need to ask yourself, what is it that I want so badly that I'm willing to disobey God's word, that I'm willing to step aside and out from under the authority that God's placed in my life? What do I desire so strongly that I'm willing to sin? What's become an idol in my life? The fourth thing is just repent. Repent. When conflict comes up and you've realized your sinfulness, you know the heart of the problem, you ask yourself that question, what do I desire so strongly that it's led me to sin. The next thing is just to repent. And repentance has to be vertical between you and God and horizontal between you and whoever the conflict is with. If I have a conflict with Grant Gover, then I've got to get on my knees and confess that to God. But I have to go to Grant and say, Grant, I apologize for the way I handled this situation. And I confess that to God and I confess that to you. That was sin. And I want to ask if you'll forgive me for that. Will you please forgive me for the way I treated you? That, that we would repent. The fifth thing is this, is to simply seek God in prayer. James says, listen, you ask and you do not have. You ask and you ask with the wrong motives. You ask for your own pleasures. Seek God in prayer that he would conform you to his will, to his righteousness. That he would, he would purge you of idols in your life. What is the source of conflict among you? It's the desires that wage war within your hearts and my heart. And we have to be aware of those desires. If we are going to love each other with the love of Christ then we have to be aware of ungodly desires in our life and we have to be aware even of godly desires that we can allow to take an idolatrous place in our life in the way we treat others. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word in James. God, it teaches us that desires and play a crucial role in conflicts it teaches us God that that when there's conflicts there's more involved than just behavior God it's an issue of the heart
God, I pray that every time we, we deal with conflicts in our lives, God, whether it's among family members, whether it's among people within our church, whether it's at the workplace, wherever it is, God, that you would keep us mindful of our sinful desires that could be causing that. And I pray, God, in that situation, God, that you would lead us to repentance, God, that you would lead us to reconcile with those that, that we could be at odds with. And God, in that situation, you would remind us that you deal with the heart. You don't just deal with behavior. You deal with the heart and that our only hope is for you to conform our lives, our hearts to yours. God, give us a heart that's overwhelmed with a love for you. God, we know the importance of love. God, you told us that the greatest commandment is to love you with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength. God, we ask that you would guard our hearts from sinful desires for self-seeking pleasure. God, work in our hearts a strong love for you and a love for one another. God, we do continue to pray for the unity of our church. God, we thank you for it. We thank you for the blessing it is, the fellowship we have here. And God, we do ask that you protect our unity, protect our body. God, guard us from conflict. Keep us aware of the battle that wages within us. And guard us from acting on sinful desires. God, thank you again for your word. Thank you for preserving it that we can study it and learn from it and live by it. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.